So, there's a church minister who dies, and when he gets to heaven, he's standing outside the pearly gates of St. Peter. In front of him, in the queue, is another guy who's a taxi driver, and St. Peter says to the taxi driver, well, welcome, my child, you've done so well. There's a mansion for you with fine clothes, a nice car, and everything you could ever want. And so he takes him through the gates to this household, and ooh, thinks the church minister. If he gets all that, then I wonder what I will get. So he approaches the gates and St. Peter walks him in. He walks past all the fine houses, past the small houses, past the mid-terrace houses, past the flats and into the woods. Ah, wow. Private gated entrance and a pool, thinks the the minister. And uh, they arrive to this dirty old shack. St. Peter says, here it is. What? thought the minister. Um, uh, excuse me, sir, are you sure? Well, said St. Peter, we've had a uh, management review, you see, and to be honest, it's all about the results these days. Loyalty doesn't count for anything anymore, my son. When you were preaching, you see, what happened was the whole congregation used to fall asleep. But when that taxi driver was driving, well, everyone used to pray for their lives. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty bad. But good morning, Centrepoint Church. My name is Chris, and I'm the pastor here at the church. I lead uh, Centrepoint along with a team with Phil and Johnny, and I'm so glad that we're meeting here this morning. It's so good to gather together. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're new, you're especially welcome. Whether you've just arrived here for uni, for work, or you're looking in, I'm so glad you've come. This morning, we're carrying on our series in 1 Corinthians called Church as God Intended. And my heart for us All throughout this series is that we get a glimpse of some key foundational building blocks that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about that I really believe that we can learn from and make sure we have as a foundational stones in our church and in our lives today. So this morning we're going to be looking at what it means to be a faithful believer and that's what I've entitled my talk and uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And that's kind of partly why I started with the joke because often people can think that their faithfulness to God is judged by what they do on a Sunday and they fail to take the time to consider that God sees the heart, he sees our motives, the things that we do when no one is looking, it's, it's throughout the whole week 24-7 and on the final day nothing will be hidden from him. And so at the end of this talk, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to do business with God. That might be that you need to say sorry to God for the first time and put your trust in him and his son Jesus. Or it might be saying sorry for the hundredth time. Um, But either way, I just want to allow you to let the Holy Spirit just minister to you. I'm just encouraging you to have open hearts this morning. In 1 Samuel 16, uh, God says, man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. And I believe God wants to do heart surgery this morning. And so that's what what happened was that the Corinthian church had forgotten about all of this. In the church there was great division. And that's what we've been hearing about over these last few weeks. Because people were arguing about who was the greater leader. They were putting their identity into who they followed. And they were more faithful to their factions than to Jesus. And so all of this caused disunity. So hopefully you found it by now. We're going to just look into the passage and dig out a few things. Um, If you haven't got it in your Bibles, don't worry because it will appear on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start from verse 5. It's all about faithful believers. 
What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field. He goes on, you're also God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders... All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. This then, so we're going into chapter 4, how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm a if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Wow, wonderful. Okay, so we're talking about faithful believers. There's three things we're going to talk about this morning. Faithful believers build wisely, faithful believers are rewarded, and faithful believers are servants. So let's start with faithful believers build wisely. It says, by the grace God has given me, in verse 10, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So... Point one, faithful believers build wisely. Jesus has to be our foundation. The only way to build your life, the church, is to make sure that Jesus is the foundation. So your life, the church, Jesus is the foundation. It means that everything is based on him. Everything's dependent on him. The Corinthian church had this problem. They were more concerned with what the apostles thought and they forgot about what Jesus thought. He has to be the center of everything. He is the first stone that's laid, and that's the cornerstone, and we spoke a lot about this in week one. And so really what I want to focus on is, the, is this next bit, which is this, that we need to choose to build with the right things. In verse 12 it says, if anyone builds on this foundation 
using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality. And interestingly, it's not the quantity, but the quality of each person's work. You see, Paul chooses these materials. It's not at random, for us, but it is for us to contrast. Did you notice that gold, silver and precious stones, they are natural. So let's just focus on those for a moment. They are natural things. And you can make diamonds, but gold, silver and precious stones are natural. They're found in the ground. Whereas wood, hay and straw are manufacturers. So if, if you need some wood to build a house, you go, you chop down a tree and then you, you cut it all up. You manufacture it. You, you get all the right bits and you put it through a machine or whatever and you get it all ready. Same for hay and straw. People take uh, parts of all these things and they make something out of it. So there is a, there is a contrast there. One's natural, one's manufactured. Secondly... The first set are expensive. There is a cost to gold, silver and precious stones, which it just isn't the same for wood, hay and straw. If you're going to build all those things, it's just going to cost you in some way. And then thirdly, the passage tells us that fire will reveal the quality of the work. Well, what happens to wood, hay and straw when you put it in fire? Yeah, spot on. It's burnt up. But what happens to gold, silver and precious stones? That's right. They are refined and purified. And in really, really, really hot heat, gold will melt down, but its volume does not change. It means its value does not change. So this tells us how we're meant to build. So firstly, we are meant to build with, with what God has given us. You see, there is no point in trying to manufacture something on your own. If you live life trying to be someone else, trying to attain a gift that is just not yours, then you're, build, you're not building with natural resources. You're, you're trying to build with manufactured goods. What we're called to do is build with what we have done. So where has God placed you? What skills has God given you? Rather than complaining about your work situation, see that as a place to bring God's glory. You can't be me and I can't be you. But we're all called to build of what we have in the way that God is calling us to build. Verse 5, it says, after all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Well, they're only servants through whom you came to believe. That's it. Oscar Wilde put it like this. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. We're called to build with, with who God has made us to be in the way God has called us to be. And secondly, it's, going to be, it's costly. Gold, silver and precious, they are costly. Living your life on the foundation of Jesus is costly. There is a cost to following Jesus. All the disciples knew it. We know that all but one lost their lives because of it. But Jesus still says to them, come and follow me. Knowing what's going to happen, he still says, come and follow me. Pick up your cross, follow me. He deserves our very best and you know what that costs. And it should cost us in every single area of our lives. It should cost us financially. And, you know, God is at work building his church. That's what we, we know. That's what the Bible points us all to. So what, where are you giving to the church in a way that it costs you to do something else? In fact, you could ask yourself this question. What are you not able to do because you give to the church? Think it through. If you can't think of anything, maybe you need to think about how you give. It should cost us. What, are you, what about this? What are you not able to give to your time to because you're giving your time to Jesus? It should cost you. You shouldn't be able to go and play golf on a Sunday morning because you're, you're helping build the church. Or on a Wednesday night, you might not be able to do other things. because you're helping. And it's a cost. And, and we, we count the cost and we say, yes, it's worth it because I know that Jesus is about a great thing. And I'm going to be willing to store up my treasure in heaven. It's, it, there's a cost. There's a cost to it. What friendships have you had to lay down because you're following Jesus? You know, building is not easy. I, I remember when I became a Christian... Um, 
a bunch of my mates came to my baptism, and after that, I lost friends. Now, I know what you're thinking, Chris. It wasn't because you became a Christian that you lost friends. <laughs> no, I know that. But there is a reality that there are some friendships that you may have to lay down because you follow Jesus. And in fact, there are some ways in which you do your relationships. So boyfriend, girlfriends here. The way in which you do your relationship will be different to the rest of the world because you follow Jesus. There is a cost to what you're doing. And you know what that is. The Bible's clear on that. And then thirdly, it's got to be built to last. We're talking about faithful believers build wisely. Well, when you reach, it's got to be built to last. When you reach the end of your life, will what you have built survive the flames or will it be burnt up? I tell you, when I reach the end, my prayer is that God will turn to me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But it's so easy as a pastor to fall into the trap of thinking that speaking on a Sunday morning will do it. You know, no. I have to live it and breathe it and know it in my heart. And God hates hypocrisy. He hates hard-heartedness. So again, going back to my joke, it's so important to know that at the end, as it says in chapter 4, verse 5, God will expose the motives of the heart. And he will be just. It's why you hear a joke like that earlier, and I just pray. I pray I'm the taxi driver. I pray, you know, it, it, in the sense that I pray I'm just not the, the preacher who just thinks that, well, me standing up and being on a rotor is what's going to ha- have it done. Because it won't. And that's the same for you too. God looks at the heart, the motives of the heart. And we should make sure that we are careful to build wisely. We're building things to last and not hypocritically. So it's important that we build wisely in the right way with what God has given each of us. And it often will be costly in all sorts of different ways. And our aim is to build with what God is calling us, with, God, with what God is calling us to in order for it to last. And do you know what that is? Well, I've already mentioned it. It's the church. And this is not just for church leaders, but it's the mandate to build a church. And it's for everyone. In verse 16, it says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And when it says that you are that temple in this passage, that is not Paul saying your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, like he does say it elsewhere. But here he is saying you, as in the plural you, you are God's temple and to, together you are that temple. That is the place where the presence of God dwells and that is the church. That is what you are called to build. You are the temple of God. You see, when Paul was writing, gold, silver and precious stones are not random precious items that he selected. But I think that he was thinking about Solomon's temple because Solomon displayed all over the temple in the Old Testament. That was the place where he he displayed the temple. He overlaid it all with gold, silver and precious stones. That was the place that God's spirit dwelt. And now his spirit dwells in the people of God and he has called them by name and he's called them the church. You are a temple. And God says, if anyone tries to destroy this temple, God will destroy that temple, that person. And it's quite stark. And it's so important that we are not people that bring division, that bring arguing, that undermine the spirit in the church, undermine the leaders in the church. Because God is building his church and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we need to make sure we're not coming up against God in what he is doing in building his church. So what about you? How are you doing at building the church? I'll ask you again. How, what's your giving like? What's your serving like? How's your encouraging? How are you building up? What are your words like about people in the church and about the church itself? Hey, it's costly, it's hard, but we're all called to build it right. Matthew 12 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. So how are your words? 
Are you building up? Or are you tearing down? You know, it's why I take my role so seriously. You might think, oh, Chris, why are you being so pedantic about every little thing that we do? Hey, it's because we need to build wisely. We need to build carefully. We need to make sure we're building this to last. We need to make sure we're building to help others come in and be attracted to this church that, that God is building, that Jesus is the head of. And, and all of us, who are we? Well, we're servants, all helping each other. How do I serve? I serve by leading you guys. And you might serve by leading as well within the church or leading all sorts of different ways. But it's so easy sometimes to sit, you know, like in a stadium and moan about the manager and his awful tactics like the Man United fans are doing at the moment. But hey, it's completely different when you roll up your sleeves, when you get in the dugout, when you become part of the team, when you give your time, your money, your energy, your support, and then you, say, and then you start looking at the tactics and, and asking questions and, and wondering why. It's a completely different ball game. You know, we're not called to be people that sit in the stands. We're, we're, called, we're part of the action. We're part of the team. Where's your part? What is, where is God calling you to build within his church? Faithful believers, believers, we build wisely. You know, we also, faithful believers are rewarded. Now, this is amazing, and it stems throughout the whole of this passage. It's in verse 6, it says, I planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. In verse 14 it goes on, If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And in verse 5 it says, in verse 5 of chapter 4, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of, heart, of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The testimony throughout Scripture is that at the end, God will judge the living and the dead, and that those who are not found in Jesus will perish and will be condemned. You see, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he goes on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see, there is something called sin. And sin in, it, in its basic form is like a misuse of what God has given us. So we can misuse our bodies, our speech, our money, our families, and all this is sin. And the Bible also says that God is holy and that sin must be punished. That there is a debt that sin racks up and which can only be paid for by death. Either it's our own death, and that means eternal separation from God, or someone else dies in our place for us, taking on that punishment of sin. And you know what? In Jesus we have someone who has done exactly that. He willingly died on the cross to pay for our sin, even though he was sinless. He paid the price for our sin so that anyone who puts their trust in him shall be saved. They shall not perish. Jesus proved his sinlessness. By then rising again from the grave, he defeated death. It could not hold him down. And now he is at work in this world through his Holy Spirit. And he can give you peace and joy and purpose and identity and significance and value. So that when that final day comes, God will make a just and legal declaration on your life. And either it will be guilty or it will be innocent. And everyone who has placed their trust in Jesus will be found innocent in his sight. Their debt of sin that you have will be paid and you will be found spotless and clean. And this is called grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. It's an unearned, unmerited, undeserved gift that you can receive today freely by admitting your sin, by saying sorry and choosing to believe in Jesus. Is that good? And in a few minutes, I'm gonna, I will give you a chance at the end to do that. But before I do, I just want to carry on because it's really easy for us to think that God will only judge those who do not know Jesus. And to think that if I've put my trust in Jesus, well, I can just kind of get complacent because I'm found innocent and there won't be any other judgment. But that's just not the case. Actually, what these and other passages tell us is that God will judge every thought, every careless word, everything that we have done and built on this earth. And there is a judgment for Christians. So a faithful believer builds wisely with all that God has given them because they know that there are rewards for them at the end too. What I find really interesting is that this is not a corporate reward. You won't be rewarded for what I do and I won't be rewarded for what you do. But as verse 8 says, they each will be rewarded according to their own labour. And as verse 14 says, if what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. Now I'm not going to get into what those rewards might be. The Bible doesn't really explain them. Sometimes it talks about crowns. But then are they literal crowns? Well, we're not really sure. But what is clear is the rewards. So in Philippians, Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So it is okay to be motivated by rewards. And I would suggest, you know what, parents, it's okay to motivate your children with rewards. It's how our Heavenly Father treats us and he is a good father. But even if there wasn't rewards, well, then we have everything we need because God is at work uh, building us up, calling us his church, declaring us free in his sight. And yet the reality is there is. There is rewards. What, and you might be thinking, well, what if I become a Christian, but basically I don't build wisely? What happens then? Perhaps you're here and you've been away from God and you think, oh man, well, if I were to die today, then would I even know God's grace would he declare me innocent? You might be thinking, I'm just not sure. Well, I think Paul's picture here is really helpful in verse 14 and 15. He says, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. We know that. And in verse 15, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though there's only one escaping through the flames. You see, Paul isn't saying that if your life, your deeds, or everything you have is burnt up, and there is nothing to show... Um, He's not saying that that's it, because what you do have left is what is a plot of ground. Everything above it might be all burnt up and gone, but you do have a plot of ground. You know, in heaven, your plot of ground is assured, and you will be there, and you will be declared innocent, because God's grace is not God's riches at your expense, it's God's riches at Christ's expense, and his grace is free. It wasn't free to Jesus, but it is free to you. You can receive it freely by putting your trust in him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes shall not perish. Your ground is assured. You will have everlasting life, and you can trust that, and it, it does seem to say that the builder will suffer loss, but you will be saved. And we don't exactly know what that loss is and how we feel lost when we're in heaven. But what we do know is that your plot of ground will be assured. And you know what? I don't want to be that per- I, don't, I really don't. I don't want to be that person that does just kind of scrape through, just like escaping through the flames. And I'm sure you don't either. And so I will ask you again, what about you? How are you building your life? 
Are you a faithful believer? If you, know, if you don't know Jesus yet, then there is a moment where you can put your trust in him. You might be someone here and you're just not sure about this. Paul actually ends this section by saying, do not deceive yourselves. And this may sound foolish to you. It may sound, all this stuff that I've been talking, it might sound foolish to you, but you know what? God uses the foolish things in this world to shame the wise. And if you're a Christian, you can stand firm on knowing this, that I, my security in Jesus is safe and assured. You can trust him and then you can build, live for him based on that foundation. So let me just ask you again, how are you? Where are you doing? Is your ground assured? Hey, you can put your trust in Jesus even right now if you're, if you're uncertain about that, whether it's for the first time or whether it's for a significant recommitment. It might also be that you just need to uh, repent. Maybe you've been living your life and you've been building with wood, hay and straw. You know, here's a moment where you can repent even now. You say, I'm sorry, Lord. I want to build wisely. I want to build faithfully. I want to trust you. I want to, I want to live for you. Not out of legalism, but because I know my grounds are shorter and I want, to, I want to strain towards the price to receive the reward. And just, you can just take a moment. You can just pray. Ask God again into your life. Now, the last thing is faithful believers are servants. So faithful believers build wisely, faithful believers are rewarded, and faithful believers are servants. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. You know what? In the ESV version, it puts it slightly differently. It puts it like this. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. And uh, just, by the way, here's just a quick one for free. The mysteries of God uh, that, that he has revealed to us is Jesus, it's the out, and it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see, because before Jesus came, people didn't know about this. Abraham didn't know about it. Isaac didn't know about it. Jacob didn't know about it. Joseph, the prophets. Isaiah kind of saw glimpses of it, and we, we hear about it in Isaiah 9, you know, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and we read about his pierce for our transgressions. But they don't really know, but this mystery is now, we're, we're post, you know, we're, we're AD, no, yeah, after, we're post Jesus coming, and that mystery has been revealed to us. His name is Jesus, and it's how we're to be to regard him. We're meant to be regarded as, the, the key words in here are as servants of Christ, and as stewards of this, these mysteries. And those two Words, servants and stewards are quite key. See, the reason why I prefer the ESV translation is because Paul actually wrote this letter in Greek originally. And the ESV is just slightly closer to the Greek in its translation. And you know, they see these two words, servants and stewards, in the original Greek are not just your everyday servants or stewards, but they mean something specific. The first word is like that of a rower in a warship or in like a slave ship. You know, down on the very bottom deck, underneath, you know, the kind of, there's rows of people in, in lines kind of rowing along under the boat. And when Paul says that you should be regarded as a servant of Christ, this is the picture, that this is, the, this is what the word means. This is how we're to be regarded, like people rowing a warship. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means this, that we don't always know the direction that we're going in. 
You see, you might know God's call on your life, but you might not. You might just you might know a call on your life, but you might not know what's up ahead. You see, one year ago, I had no idea that God was calling me away from Chichester and, and over here to Guildford. I had no idea. And that was only just a year ago. So my only job was to be faithful to serve him where I was in the best way that I knew how. And let, allow God to do the rest. I mean, I wonder, are you feeling overlooked? Do, do you feel bored in your ministry role? Well, the answer here is, hey, be faithful rower. Even though you don't know where God might lead you, even though you can't quite see what's up ahead, the call is to serve him faithfully now as best as you can. The second thing that's, that this picture tells us is, is this, that we need to keep going, this pace. You see, people, they got tired. Um, but there was a destination to reach. And so, it's, and so there would have been encouragement to keep the pace going, to keep together in unison going. And it's not, it's not like a legalistic whipping if you don't, but there is a task ahead. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see, even when it doesn't feel like we're going anywhere, it feels like we're going round and round at the church. Well, faithful believers, what they do is they, they keep the pace going. They keep listening to their, to their guide, which is the Holy Spirit. They, they keep serving. They keep coming to church. They, they keep the pace. They, you know, you might be at uni, away from everything you know, and you know what? You can be assured that the Holy Spirit is with you and he's guiding you. You can keep going. You can keep living for Jesus. You don't need to give up. You keep the pace going. And the, the other thing about it is there's timing. So this is the third thing about this, this kind of word service. There's timing. And it's God's timing. You see, each rower doesn't row on their own timing. Otherwise, it would just be all over the place. And the ship won't make much headway. It will be inefficient. So we row in time with God and we row in time with each other, which means we seek him together. We listen to him together. It's why it's so important to come to our worship nights that we've got coming up on Wednesday the 10th of October. We do it in unison together. And uh, last, lastly, it's teamwork. One person can't do it, but it's about everyone pulling together faithfully in the same direction, at the same time, in the same pace, trusting a spirit. It's, and that's the only way that we're going to be able to do it. Our destinies, if you're part of this church, we're linked together. We are Team Jesus, everyone who's ever put their trust in Jesus. But we are the centre point of this vision at your service, sir. That's what it means to be a faithful servant of Christ. And then the second word I mentioned was the word steward. And that, translated from the Greek, from our Bible, is like the faithful head butler of a household. It's the one who's entrusted with the running of the whole house, who's making sure that everything's going smoothly for the owners. And these people, they were based in the household. And they were given trust. They were, given, they were entrusted with all the other servants. The owner had placed them in that person's care. Do you know leaders in this church, all across our church, do you know that the people are in your group, they were in your ministry, they're ultimately they are God's and God has placed them in your care. He's entrusted them to you. The people in this church are God's and it's your responsibility to look after them um, on his behalf. Whoever you are, God has placed people in your care. If you're an employer, what well, he's placed employees with you. How are you treating them? Fathers and mothers... Your children, do you know they're ultimately God's children? Do you know he even loves them more than you do? And he has placed them in your care for a season. God, God loves them and he loves you. And how are you treating them? How are you bringing them up in the way of the Lord? University students, even you, you've been entrusted with friends. You've been entrusted with, with uh, people around you. How are you treating them? How are you talking to them? How, how are you doing that? Well, we are meant to be stewards of the thing that God, the, of the people in, that God has placed um, in our care. We need to make sure we're looking after them and caring for them well. Do you know, stewards in a household are 
also, secondly, under authority. The head steward is under authority of the owners of the house. But there is also, there might be like other managers in the household having different roles and different team leaders. And so they're also under, they can be under the authority of other people in the household. And, and that's the same in the church. Jesus is the head of the church and the leaders are under his authority. But God also places leaders in the church too. And so you, you might be under the authority of a life group leader. You might be under the authority of a... Uh, a ministry leader or of a team leader well how are you treating them learn to respect them help them to lead you be the best person they can lead how do you do that you do that by by listening to them by being supportive by being encouraging it means you do share you say oh, i think we could do this better but you do that in a respectful way that's how the 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 head steward would would do that if he, if he was going to go to the owners of the house and say, oh, I think we can do this better, it would be in a respectful way. He knows what it means to be under authority and to relate to people in that way. Do you know, third, thirdly though, so they, they're entrusted, they have people entrusted to their care, they're under authority, but do you know what? They're also given authority. There is a delegated responsibility that the head butler or the head steward in the household has to operate the house under the owner's orders. They can make decisions. They can spend money where it's needed. They can hire people and fire people. You know, Jesus has given leaders authority too. But he has also given every Christian authority. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, all, he said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus gives us all authority, authority over sickness, authority over darkness. I wonder, are you living in fear? Are you living in darkness? You know, God says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So when you feel overwhelmed by darkness around you, you know you can stand in the name of Jesus and say, be gone. When the devil attacks you and says, well, you're not good enough to do this, you're not good enough to do that, you say, hey, you know what? You're right. But Jesus is. And his perfection covers me and his righteousness covers me. And I'm not alone, but I'm standing on his rock. And he is my sufficiency. And so get away from me, Satan. Get away from me. Because I stand in Jesus and I know that my ground is assured. That I'm made spotless because I've repented and given my life to him. And we are in Christ and Christ is of God. That's what our passage says. So believe it. You know, and thirdly, we are, the head stewards are given ownership. The steward is responsible for things that are ultimately are not his. But he is given ownership over the things. So the cutlery, the equipment, the hoover, the people in the household, you know, none of them are his and your money, your house, your clothes, your relationship. They all belong to God. When you die, you take none of them with you. They're all left behind. They're all God's and he's entrusted them to you. You have ownership over them for this short season while you live on this earth. So how are you going to use them? Remember we said earlier, sin is to misuse the things that God has given you. So how are you using them? Are you building them wisely? Are you using them to build God's kingdom, to build God's church? Are you, how, are you, how are you doing with those things? A faithful, believers, faithful believers are servant rowers who follow the direction of the Holy Spirit, who are in tune with their leaders, who keep going, who press on to the prize that God has called them to and who are team players encouraging those around them. And faithful believers are stewards in the house who have been entrusted people to look after, who know how to submit to authority, who have authority over, over, over others and, and over darkness and trust God with it and who know that ultimately everything they have is God's and so they're going to prove faithful. Faithful believers build wisely with precious stones, knowing that there is a reward in heaven as their father welcomes them in and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little and I know you're going to be faithful with much. And you know what? Faithful believers are rewarded for their work.
the band's going to come up, and we're going to we're going to pray, we're going to in a moment we're going to sing. I just want to just remind me of a few things. Remember, in verse five it says, "He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and will expose the motives of the heart." At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And I think it'd be really good for us to respond. Now, I don't know which aspect of being a faithful believer God is prodding you about today. But I want you to know that he is for you. The mark of faithfulness in God is not success. After all, it's God that makes things grow. But it's faithful obedience to him. God loves you and he's for you. You are in Christ and Christ is of God. You have nothing to fear if you're in him. Your plot of ground is assured. There are rewards waiting for you. He is a good father, but will you choose to build your life on him and on his son? Because he is the only firm foundation for your life. His name is Jesus. Come on, let's stand. We're going to respond. We're going to to pray. I just want to encourage you. I want you to just open up your hearts. Just allow the Holy Spirit to just move in your, in your mind. To, where do you need to repent? Maybe you've been building carelessly. Maybe you've been building cheaply. Maybe you've just been away from God for a while. Hey, he's calling you back. God is drawing you in. He's saying, trust me. Give yourself to me. I don't, I don't know what he's doing in your heart, but, but you do. So come on, let's, let's just take a moment before God. I'm going to pray and then we're going to come to worship and just spend some time in his spirit. Dear God, I just want to thank you so much for your church. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you are at work building your church. You are the head of the church. Thank you, Lord God, that, that you choose to partner in with us to do all these things. And Lord, we want to be faithful to you, faithful believers. Lord, I pray, help us, Lord God. Help us, Father, to live for you. Help us to serve you. Help us to be faithful stewards. And all the things that we've been talking about this morning, I pray, help us all, Lord God, to build with precious stones. Lord, we, we, we want to be more than just people who escape through the, the flames. But Lord God, we want to hear those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, be with us as we pray. We worship you. We love you. You you are so glorious. You're so worthy of our praise. We give it all to you. Amen.